0: thanks for joining us for the connect podcast i'm cole phillips the lead pastor of the connection church and every week we're going to look into the bible to find out how god's word connects to our everyday lives it's going to be life-changing Connect podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service. Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope that you're going to have a great time of Thanksgiving and a great time to uh, to just uh, enjoy family, enjoy maybe some football, enjoy some, uh, a day off or a couple days off, and enjoy some good food as well. And as we do this, we're going to get fed here together as we get into Acts chapter 14 and continue our walk through the book of Acts. And and as we're doing this, we're getting into God's word so we can get God's word into us so we can live it out. We can get it out of our lives, into the lives of those around us. And there's so much going on. Uh, One of the more recent news stories that I heard was about this. Did you hear about this high school football coach in Georgia? who was fired after hosting an outdoor baptism ceremony for 20 of his players. Not all the players were baptized, but somewhere he, uh, he was after practice. And here's the story. Isaac Farrell still teaches in the district, but he was fired as the head coach from Tatnall County High School after the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the FFRF, complained about that he allowed this to happen. There was a viral video, went viral on October 23rd, that shows a local pastor named Gary Few baptizing these 20 players uh, in a tub. And uh, I wanna show you the video. You can check this out right here. Let's uh, let's watch this, okay? Here we go, here we go. Check this out, all right. I baptize you now, my brother. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Someone baptizing there. There they go. Uh, these are high school students. I was extremely proud of him. And you know that he made the decision on his own. I didn't. Uh, have to they were. Hand. This is an important it. moment, a moment in their lives. This is a life-changing moment. And then these uh, people got involved. The freedom from religion. All right, we'll just take that off. Now we'll take it off and remove that. Um, so, so yeah, uh, this happened, and uh, there was the the lawyer for the FFRF, Chris Line, claims that Farrell abused his power as a football coach, and uh, the district must refrain from infusing its football program with religion, and Coach Farrell cannot be allowed to preach to student athletes or allow a local pastor to preach and to baptize students. Uh, you saw the mom in the video who said that she is extremely proud of her son for making the decision. It was so sweet because you want to see the boys and they looked like they wanted it. Everyone looked excited from the ones I was able to see. So I was cheering. Thank you, God. Yes, I was all for it. Now, uh, members of the Satanic Temple Uh, went after the team for the baptisms, but other than that, the majority of the comments are supportive. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Congratulations. You made the best decision of your lives. Hallelujah, glory to God. Um, But even though uh, Farrell was fired, uh, someone said, we need more coaches like this. And then the FFRF, this Freedom From Religion group, said, we're glad they're looking for a new coach who will abide by his constitutional duties. Um, let's talk about that for a second. You know, people confuse this idea. We hear all the time about separation of church and state. That was actually a phrase, uh, that was in a letter penned by Thomas Jefferson. He wrote to the members of the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut back in 1802 and uh, he was talking about this separation that protects the church from the state, not the other way around. It's not intended to uh, protect the state from the church. But what they didn't want was to have the the government interfere in the practice of. Your faith of worship. And so this was this, as you get into what these guys were doing, this was their choice. It was uh, free will and uh, nobody was being forced. Nobody was being coerced. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting that the people who are complaining about this, you know, they'll be the first to cheer on if you have a class encouraged to uh, share their pronouns or to state their gender identity, uh, which is in itself a religion. It's the, the woke religion of our day, um, and yet that is allowed and encouraged in our school. But to have someone share the hope of Jesus, this coach was fired from his coaching job. Um, and, and so they're continuing to look into this. But this is an example of someone who was bold enough, committed enough to his uh, faith in Christ to allow uh, the the these these boys to hear the message of Jesus, to hear the good news of the gospel, and he paid a price for it. And we're seeing this more and more as we move forward uh, in our culture and move backward, really, away from um, from God's plan and God's purpose. Uh, We're seeing uh, our culture descend further into uh, this darkness that is allowing increased persecution and opposition against Christians like, I mean, we're not there yet, but we're getting closer and closer to what we see in Acts. And we're looking at Acts chapter 14, starting in verse one. And what we see here is Paul and Barnabas, they went first to the local synagogues, they um, they Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles, and so he also he also preached to the Jewish people. Uh, there were actually about four to five million uh, Jewish people living uh, or, or in the first century in other places. Every major city had at least one synagogue. And Rome had at least 11 of those synagogues. So the Jewish population in Rome alone was forty to 50,000 people. And we see that many believed, many responded, some opposed. If you want to know more about that, go back last week and listen to the different ways people respond to the gospel. But let's go ahead and read the first few verses of Acts uh, 14 here that says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. And, It's just so true. This is the first thing we want to note here is that being obedient to God can cause division. Many times it will cause division. Not everybody is going to go along. Not everybody is going to applaud. This is a hard road to go. Just as the people of Iconium were divided over the gospel, today we see the same thing. Communities can get divided when we share the gospel. Back when I was a youth pastor in Wimberley, I had an event that I organized where I brought in an evangelist to preach the gospel. And I invited all the local churches to bring in, in Wimberley and elsewhere around in the surrounding areas to come. And, and it was a youth event and, and a guy came and shared the gospel and there were so many decisions and you wouldn't believe it, or maybe you would, but some of the local pastors afterwards were upset, even threatened to sue me because uh, we had presented, these were Christian pastors, (laughs) and this was nearly, well, this was 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, uh, when they threatened to sue me for sharing the gospel with the youth at their church, uh, that they sent the youth to our event, okay, so, Uh, We're told in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What that tells me is it's not always possible. We need to try to bring peace. We want to bring peace, but sometimes there's division because not everybody is going to respond in a good way, in a positive way, when you share the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus actually said this In Matthew 10, 34, he said, did not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And many people look at the lost areas of our world today and they say, you know what? Maybe it's better. They're doing all right. If they come to Christ, they might be kicked out of their families. And after all, they're pretty good people. Maybe we should just keep not tell them. Maybe we shouldn't stir things up. No, 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 no. That just cools off our uh, passion for Jesus and, and our passion for sharing the good news. It's like a mailman that I heard. This is a real story about a mailman in Brooklyn who, um, who uh, spent a decade avoiding his job by intentionally hoarding over 40,000 pieces of mail over a 10-year period, over a decade, 40,000 pieces of mail. In September 2014, Joseph Brucato admitted hiding a ton of mail, 2,500 pounds of mail, meant for customers in Flatbush since 2005. Uh, A postal supervisor became suspicious that Brucato was up to something weird when he noticed his personal car was stuffed with undelivered letters, and investigators pressed him about his stash of letters, and he admitted hoarding priority, first class, and regular mail that had been headed toward Brooklyn businesses and Brooklyn residents there in Flatbush. It took five postal agents, five hours, to remove the massive stash of um, captive letters from his apartment. And, uh, you know, what is the mailman's job? It is to deliver the mail. And our job as followers of Jesus is to deliver the message, God's love letter to the world. He's given us a message and, and we are the, the delivery system. And we can't slack off on our job. We don't want to hoard the message and keep it to ourselves. We don't want to hide the message. We want to distribute it to as many people as quickly as as possible, and when we realize how much people are worth, how long eternity is, um, how much Jesus paid—the price that Jesus paid on the cross for their salvation—we will uh, not let w- wind, rain, sleet, or snow keep us from our the message of our Creator to His creation. We will press forward. We'll be faithful to share and to reach out no matter what the opposition, no matter what the cost. And here we see this, that that uh, opinions and feelings can change very quickly. So let's look in, in uh, Lystra and Derby. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth. He had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd. Now I'm, I'm just going to pause here. I want to, I want to pause in reading this to talk about the opinions of people and living for the opinions of people and what people think, you know, uh, people think all sorts of things. Uh, I think uh, to Taylor Swift, let's talk about Taylor for just a minute because she is ruling and reigning the charts and the hearts of people this year. She has an estimated net worth of 1.1 billion dollars. She made more than 780 million dollars on the US leg of her Ares tour this year and um I I read that she stands to make as much as 4.1 billion dollars from this tour. Well, if you Back up to ancient history in 2016. Seems like it would have been longer ago than this, but that was when um, Taylor and Kanye had their rift. And um, what it turns out that she's just admitted that this affected Taylor so much that she hid from public eye. And she said, when people decided I was wicked and evil and conniving and not a good person, that was the one i really couldn't bounce back from because my whole life was centered around it she even described that that was the reason she got into the music business of course she's so young but when she got in but she said we're people who get into this line of work because we want people to like us because we're intrinsically insecure because we like the sound of people clapping the applause of the crowd she says because it made us forget how much we feel like we're not Good enough. And there are so many of us. You look at her, you say, she's got everything. She's got billions of dollars. She's got all the fame, all the popularity, all the talent, all the stuff. And yet, at her heart, she says, there's an insecurity there. And so, so many people can relate to that because we have this relentless drive to prove that we're good enough and we want people to like us. And listen, when you live for the applause of the crowd, sometimes you're going to get it. And sometimes you're going to get the jeers. Sometimes you're going to get the cheers. Sometimes you can get the 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 boos, and sometimes you can get the applause. And uh, the the reality is, you can't please everyone. Uh, I have you heard that saying? I can only please one person a day, and unfortunately, today is not your day. And you can't please all the people all the time. But you can please God, the one whose opinion really matters, and His opinion is is what we can live for. You you can't just live by the consensus of people because people are fickle. Their feelings change very quickly. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the crowd gave him a king's welcome in Luke nineteen thirty seven, and then less. Then a week later, just less than a week later, they shouted together, crucify him, crucify him. And, you know, it's dangerous when people get this mob mentality. They're not even thinking clearly. And this is what is beginning to happen here in this passage. People are getting riled up against Paul and Barnabas. And yet they're going to be continue to be faithful and they're going to do it in a very wise way. Um, we're going to see this, that that we have to be wise in the way we minister to people around us. Paul and Barnabas were faithful. They were courageous, but they weren't dumb. <laughs> they weren't afraid. But they did know that certain things would do more harm than good. And many of us don't think that way. Sometimes we just think, I'm going to dig my feet in. I shall not be moved. Um, but when the Lord says move... You better get ready to pack up and go. But Paul and Barnabas even came back and visited these same places several times. But when they did, they approached it differently. Instead of just being evangelists and going out in the streets, they began to focus on those that they had won to Christ because those people then can go and win others. They had more relationships with others. They knew others. And so Paul and Barnabas were were working to equip the church strengthened the church, and the church continued to reach out effectively to those those areas. And so, how did they strengthen the believers? One thing they did was they um, they they strengthened them. Um, and, and we see in Acts back in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, um, it talks about the church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they strengthened them in these four areas the 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 discipleship the um the the connection between each other and praying those spiritual disciplines in their lives and um you know all of that is part of being uh being part of the church they encouraged them you know people need massive doses of encouragement um and think of that word encourage encourage it's to put to pour courage into someone else. And so that's an important role that we have to encourage one another as followers of Jesus. They also taught them and they knew that there were going to be some more persecution, some more opposition. Jesus said this in Luke 9, verse 23, says, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Look at what Paul is going through, um, and we're going to see this and the kind of um, opposition and physical suffering he goes through. And as he does this, he's not feeling these happy feelings, but he's being faithful. He was faithful through it all. Romans 8, 17 says, Now if we are children then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. We want the good stuff. We want the blessings. But do we also want to go through the hard times? That is a part of discipleship. It's a part of following Jesus. And if you're not experiencing any suffering for following Jesus, it could be, you got to examine yourself and say, have I taken the easy road? Am I taking the easy way out instead of the right road and God's road? Now, look, look, we shouldn't seek out persecution. We shouldn't try to, you know, upset people and turn people against us, but we also shouldn't be surprised when we are, we do experience suffering in our lives. But then also what they did was they organized. They organized and helped the church get organized. They appointed some leaders in the church. And, um, you know, it's funny. A lot of people say, I don't like organized religion. And I get that. I tell them, oh, you'll love the Connection Church. You'll love the church that that we're at because we're so unorganized. But really, there is a method behind the madness because um, – you, you can be over-organized, over-structured. We don't exist to serve the organization, but the organization exists to serve the mission. And the reason that we have structure is in order to be as, um, as effective as possible. And it is good to have some so a plan. If you don't have a plan, then you can't deviate from the plan. You need to first have a, a plan and you need to balance boldness with wisdom. So in Acts 14, 15, uh, what happens here is we back up um, to where we were at when they began to shout. Remember, they're shouting at the, the people who thought they were gods. They said, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in the past. He let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. They were trying to point to God and not to themselves, but the people were trying to worship them. So then some Jews in verse 19 came from Antioch and Iconium, won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. They went from worshiping him to trying to kill him, wanting to sacrifice to him to wanting to sacrifice him. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. You talk about the crowd, the opinions of the crowd. If you live for the opinions of the crowd, good luck, because they're going to turn on you like that. Listen, there we we talk about this persecution. We're talking about opposition, and one uh, news organization listed the different degrees of persecution that you could face as a Christian. A- and the first, and we're gonna, there's actually like. 17 different levels. So let me just run down these. It starts with disapproval. You know, somebody doesn't like you. It moves to ridicule, making fun of you, mocking you, pressure to conform. Don't do that. Be like us. Change your mind. Uh, recant of your beliefs. Uh, you can lose educational opportunities. Uh, you can lose opportunities uh, to uh, make money or maybe they fine you. We've seen some who maybe they shut down your bank account because of a certain belief that you have. Uh, they shun you from society. They push you away. They alienate you from community, uh, loss of employment, loss of property, physical abuse, mob violence to harassment by officials like by the government officials. Uh, kidnapping, forced labor, imprisonment, physical torture, and on up to murder or execution. So these are some of the levels that you can expect as persecution increases. I want to end with this story. In his um, memoir uh, called Everything Sad is Untrue, Daniel Nayeri tells the gripping story of his mother's conversion from a devout Muslim Uh, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. She gave up her wealth, her money, her social status. Eventually, she was forced to flee from uh, Iran under a death threat or Iran uh, under a death threat. But she was willing to pay the price. And he writes about one example of what her faith cost her. He said one time she hung a little cross necklace from the rearview mirror of her car, which was probably a reckless thing to do. My mom was like that. One day after work, she went to her car, and there was a note stuck to the windshield It said, Madam Doctor, if we see this cross again, we will kill you. And to, to my dad, he says, who's not a Christian, this kind of story proves this point, that my mom was picking a fight. She could have lived quietly and saved everyone the heartaches that would come if she just kept her head down, if she t- stopped telling people she was a Christian, if she pretended Uh, just a few holidays a year that nothing had changed, she would still have it all. My mom took the cross down that day. Then she got a cross so big it blocked half the windshield and she put it up. Why would anybody live with their head down? Besides, the only way to stop believing is to deny it yourself, to hide it, to act as if it hasn't changed your life. Another way to say it is that everybody is dying and going to die of something. And if you're not spending your life on what you believe, then what are you even doing? What's the point of the whole thing? It's a tough question because most people haven't picked anything worthwhile. Listen, if you believe something enough, you believe it strongly enough, and I'm telling you that you can believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is true, it is life-changing. And if Jesus has changed your life, then we can't hide it. We, we have to live it out. And as we live it out, again, not everybody's going to be for it. Not everybody's going to be for us, but that's okay because we're not living for their applause. We're living for the applause of heaven. And we know if you listen, if you listen, that you can hear the, the, the saints of, of uh, those who have gone before us, listening, watching, cheering, saying, go keep sharing the message. Don't stop. Be bold. Be courageous. We've got you. Yes, it may be hard. Yes, there may be a price to pay, but it's okay because it's worth it. Lives are worth it. And the reward that you will receive just in knowing that eternities have been changed and lives have been changed, it's all worth it. So I want to encourage you, live boldly. Live courageously for Jesus. Take those stands whenever you get the opportunity. Do it in love. Do it not to not to cause a disruption or to disrupt the peace, but because we follow the Prince of Peace who can bring peace into people's hearts and lives, change their hearts and lives. And, and so you can share this message and uh, you can stand boldly knowing that you're safe in God's hands. And so thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of the day, rest of the week, and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Thanks so much.